Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Monday, July 20th. Before we get to my conversation with returning champion here on our Cracked Rackets podcast and play-by-play commentator for the 2020 World Team Tennis season, Mark Lucero, I just want to let you listeners know, of course, that these podcasts are made possible day in, day out due to the support we get from our friends at Midwest Sports, and you are all so familiar with Midwest Sports because for more than 30 years, they have served as one of the world's premier tennis equipment suppliers, offering a comprehensive selection of fast shipping tennis supplies that few retailers can match. They also have one of the largest in-stock inventories of tennis equipment online, with tens of thousands of products available for shipping directly from their automated warehouse to your front door. They value innovation and have personally tailored their products to highlight your skills on the court. Their well-trained staff are also intimately familiar with tennis equipment and can help you find that perfect racket, perfect shoe, or perfect tennis clothing that is sure to put you ahead of the competition. Their selections of equipment are consistently first to market, and they pride themselves in stocking their tennis warehouse with the newest products at the lowest prices. Now, some of you Cracked Rackets fans may be aware of this fact, but our team this past weekend was actually in Cincinnati, Ohio, to host our third Cracked Rackets Open of the summer. It was a fantastic event. So great to see so many familiar faces at this point. We've been so fortunate to have a couple of players not only play this third event, but play our first and second events as well. And, you know, that's what we're trying to do here at Crack Rackets. Again, expand the tennis community, but while expanding it, of course, bringing us all together a little bit closer. And, you know, that that made for such a fun event. People now so comfortable coming up to us, chatting with us, giving us a hard time. Of course, if you listeners have listened to these podcasts, you know, I am more than happy to dish out a little bit of grief right back to these players. Uh, you know, I think of guys like Vishnu Badavula, his coach Benny, uh, who I think has played every Cracked Rackets event. It's it's funny at this point, you know, we've spent, what, three weekends together, and I consider both of them friends. Uh, it speaks to the fact that we all have tennis in common, and, you know, that's something we all enjoy so much. It's a sport. It's our beloved sport. And so it, it's so clear that, you know, even if we don't know anything about each other, even if we come from such differing backgrounds, uh, you know, tennis is a sport that brings people together, and it's been so fun for us here at Cracked Rackets to, again, uh, get to interact with this expanded Cracked Rackets uh, community, of course, offer opportunities for so many tennis players, uh, in particular across the Midwest, but really across the country, uh, who haven't had the opportunity to be competing on the tennis court. And as we all know, as tennis players, that's the thing we all love to do most. And so it was great, again, to be on the road this past weekend in Cincinnati. Of course, you know, rigorous safety and health measures in place. You know, if you're on the site, you have to be wearing masks. And we ask these players don't linger on site too long, try and keep some social distance between one another. Of course, we're giving players separate uh, balls to serve with so that they're not interacting with the same balls too frequently. We're telling them, hey, use your racket. Don't pick up a ball if it rolls from another court to hit it back. All of those sorts of things. And, you know, the fact that all of these players have been so uh, willing to, uh, you know, show us a little bit of accountability 
to their fellow players in order for all of us to enjoy the event safely and healthily. Uh, That's been such a blessing for us here at Cracked Rackets, and I should also say it was a huge blessing this weekend to be in Cincinnati, uh, right by the Midwest Sports Store, because I know when players kept coming up to us and saying, hey, we we popped a string, we we need our racket restrung for the next day, is there anywhere we could go? It was so easy for us here at Cracked Rackets to say, yeah, the obvious place for you to go is the Midwest Sports Shop, and of course, for those of you who aren't in Cincinnati, you can rest assured that, again, it's an online retail store, one of the top online tennis stores in the business, so you can find all of their products, everything about Midwest Sports, by going to their website, MidwestSports.com. Now, once you're there, I promise you, you're going to want to order yourself up some new gear, all of us looking forward to making our safe and healthy return to the tennis court. You want to make sure you have the gear you need to make your time on the court a successful one, so go to Midwest sports.com use our promo code cr15 you'll get 15 percent off you'll also get free shipping on all orders exceeding 75 dollars and best of all a free can of wilson extra duty tennis balls again midwest sports wants to make sure you have everything you need to make your return to the court a successful one so go to midwestsports.com use that promo code cr15 of course you're also going to want to be feeling in good shape when you make your return to the tennis court because there's nothing worse than getting on the court and you know, your feet just aren't working that day. You're not moving well. It doesn't matter how cleanly you're striking the ball. If your feet aren't following you to the ball, it's going to be a rough day. And thankfully, our friends at Aerobar helping our Cracked Rackets team uh, focus on the importance of nutrition and fitness in tennis. And of course, every Thursday on the mini break, we have our Getting to the Point episodes where we've had so many outstanding guests, you know, coaches like Jay Berger, Billy Pate, Trip Phillips, players like Michael Russell, uh, Bjorn Fertangelo. Richard John Menzing of the John McEnroe Academies, uh, Ivan Barron, the director at Delray Beach. So many great guests thus far, and they've offered so much insight on the importance of nutrition, fitness, particularly in the modern game of tennis. I can also give you a personal testimonial. Whenever we are on the road, all I do to start my morning, it's a great way to start my day. I pop open an arrow bar, whether it be cinnamon, honey, oat, whether it be chocolate chip. Again, it's just a delicious alternative. It's not going to be heavy. I'm not going to feel weight down and drowsy early on. It just gives me that energy boost I need to get my day started. All of you listeners can get involved with the Aerobar as well by going to their website, aerobar.com. You use our promo code CRACKED15. You'll also get 15% off your order. Uh, And it's, again, a delicious alternative to start your day. Go to aerobar.com. Use the promo code CRACKED15. And again, be sure to listen to our our Monday, excuse me, our Thursday episodes getting to the point on the mini break podcast. Podcast. Uh, they continue to get better and better. Andrew Golub, Mark Aerosmith of the Aerobar team joining me every Thursday for those interviews. They're such a delight, so be sure to listen to them. And again, the way we show our appreciation for all they do for us, aerobar.com. The promo code is CRACKED15. Now, I mentioned the fact that we were in Cincinnati this weekend for our third Cracked Rackets Open. I want to give a couple of takeaways from that event before we get to my conversation on World Team Tennis with Mark Lucero. And it's a really great conversation, folks. I always record these intro outros after we record the conversations. Uh, I promise you, you are going to enjoy this one beyond the laughs. And, you know, at this point, I call him a returning champion because I think it's his fifth and maybe sixth time on the podcast. you know, at that point, we're both used to each other's shticks, right? He knows what he's getting into when he joins the show. I know what to expect from Mark when I ask him to come on the show. And, you know, not only the depth of, uh, you know, he gets into the statistical analysis, he gives you an on-the-ground feel. He gets into, of course, you know, with Mark Lucero, you're always going to get a well-thought 
out taken. It's an exceptional conversation on things ranging from, again, the tennis that we've seen at World Team Tennis and you know, the team environment, the differing format, but then also the feelings on the ground. How are players handling the safety and health accommodations that needed to be made, the regulations in place to ensure that this World Team Tennis season can be held, and what is he hearing on the ground from people regarding, you know, their feelings not only about this event, but whether ATP, WTA, ITF sanctioned events can return in 2020. It's a great conversation you don't want to miss out. I just want to give you all a two-minute monologue because it's not ever weekend that you go to a tennis event and you know you come away thinking oh my god I just saw the best 15-year-old male tennis player in the world play for a weekend. Uh, but that's the case that we had here at Cracked Rackets because in case you listeners don't know, Nishesh Basavaretti, uh, who of course is the boys 14's junior orange sport Orange Bowl champion, excuse me. He was also helped lead the U.S. to the ITF, I think, team event 14 and under championship as well for the USA. A guy who has been one of the top juniors in college, or in college tennis, excuse me, in American tennis, but also globally through the duration of his playing career. Uh, he made the final of this weekend's Cracked Rackets Open, and let me just say, got, getting to see him in person, getting to line judge a couple of his matches, I don't know how you beat him. And again, I, I talk about this with Mark, so I apologize. You're going to hear this uh, statement twice. Uh, you listeners are aware I have a bit of an ego, and I like to think with the Mark, Malcolm Gladwell theory, you spend 10,000 hours watching anything, doing anything in your life. You better be able to master it or there's something wrong with you. And I like to think at this point I have probably spent 10,000 hours doing something tennis-related, and that's a little bit scary. Mom, if you hear that, I apologize. Yes, you do the math there. That means sometime during those 10,000 hours I was probably in a middle school, high school, college class, and I was watching tennis highlights on my computer instead of you know listening to the professor. And guess what? That's why I do now what I do now. Anyways, the point being, I watched Nishesh Basavaretti play, and there just can't be a better 15-year-old male tennis player in the world. The guy, you know, Nishesh, he's probably 5'8 right now, you know, 140, 130 pounds soaking wet, uh, but the way this kid strikes a tennis ball, you know, I, I often used to say the best 15-year-old I've ever seen play was Stefan Kozlov, at least on the men's side. Just the way, you know, Stefan Kozlov was as good at 15 as he is right now. And obviously that's proven to be detrimental because you want to continue to improve throughout your career. And if you don't get better from the time you're 15 to when you're 24 and you have, you know, these brand new muscles and you become physically developed, that's obviously going to be uh, a long-term problem for your tennis game. But at age 15, there's not a thing on the tennis court Nishesh Basavaretti can't do. Proficient on the serve, an incredible returner. The way he absorbs pace, takes balls early, changes directions, changes elevations over the net, changes spins. Can He can drive the ball, but he can also play heavy top spin. He can also go short angle. I, I'm just so impressed, and I was sitting there watching him take on, uh, you know, Jacob Bickersteth, who I believe you go by UTR Bickersteth, what, a 12-5, a 13 range. He's going to be a, a freshman next year at the University of Michigan, uh, so obviously that's something that means a lot to me. Shesh beat him 2-1. and one. I mean, 6-2-6-1, 15 years old, you're beating an incoming college freshman, 6-2-6-1. And I will say, I think Nishesh went 5-for-5 on deuce points in that match, but he went 5-for-5 on deuce points in that match. That's a a victory in itself. And just the way he changed direction, the way he, again, 
absorbed everything Bickerstaff wanted to do and just dished it right back. He can go down the line. I think most impressively, again, is the fact that he can go short angle. The fact that when he gets a short ball and and it, again, this kid is 15 years old, but if he gets a short ball, he's he's closing the net, he's hitting his approach shot with confidence, and he's having success about it. And it's just, it's remarkable. It, it's incredible. And so, you know, for Nishesh Basavaretti uh, to have this sort of skill, this sort of talent, uh, it, it, it was notable for me. And, you know, he ultimately lost in the final to Northwestern, I think, rising junior Steve Foreman. You know, Foreman going, uh, is, I think, the number two singles, number one singles player this past season for Northwestern. Uh, you know, Steve Foreman, lefty, uh, 20, 21 years old, fully developed, a guy who, an incredible ball striker. I'm devastated my Michigan Wolverines lost him to the transfer portal to Northwestern, of course. You know, knowing what I know about that situation it makes a lot of sense for Steve to be at Northwestern now. Uh, Steve was able to, you know, hurt Nishesh, hit him off the court, get the ball, you know, overwhelm him with pace and physicality, uh, which makes sense because Steve Foreman, 20, 21 years old, Nishesh, 15. Uh, if you're going to beat Nishesh right now, you definitely have to bully him a little bit. You have to take the ball out of his hands. Uh, but he's six years older. Like, if you're Steve Foreman, you're playing at the top of a Big Ten school, you better be beating 15-year-olds. And the fact that Nishesh was able to put on that sort of performance this weekend, again, I just thought it was something you Cracked Rackets listeners would like to hear. Of course, I tweeted it out this weekend, but, you know, the in-person testimonial on the podcast, always a little bit more profound. And so, Nishesh Basavaretti, one of my biggest winners on the weekend. And again, it was such a pleasure for us at Cracked Rackets to get to host another event this summer. It was delightful. So, shout out to all of the participants who played this weekend's event. A big thank you to all of them as well. Again, we appreciate all of your kindness, your consideration, your willingness to, again, uh, put up with the safety and health protocols, even if it makes things a little bit more difficult. Uh, It allows us to host these events. So shout out to everyone who participated this weekend. We look forward to hopefully being able to host another event either post-COVID when everything comes back to normal or maybe sometime soon as well. But with that in mind, you know what is being hosted right now? You know what's rocking and rolling? Some live tennis, the 2020 World Team Tennis season officially underway, one week in the books. We talked Talk about that first week of action. We talk about the biggest takeaways on the ground in today's episode with, again, a returning champion here at Cracked Rackets, commentator for the World Team Tennis season, Mark Lucero. That conversation coming up right now. Joining us on the podcast today is a returning champion here on our Cracked Rackets podcast. You may know him as a featured player on the Tennis Channel. Uh, you may also know him, of course, as a professional tennis coach and one of the commentators for this week's world, this month's, I should say, world team tennis season. Mark Lucero, welcome back to the show. How are you doing today? Dude, I'm great. Uh, pleasure to be back with the Cracked Rackets crew. Uh, I always enjoy talking tennis with you and you keep me on my toes we are one week in in the bubble in the Greenbrier Resort in West Virginia and uh, I'm happy that we have some tennis to talk about yeah Cracked Rackets crew uh, 
coming through with you. I like the early rhyme. Hey, great shot. It is always great to see you've got your commentating uh, gear, I suppose, your commentating face on. And, you know, yeah, as you mentioned, it has been so refreshing to have live tennis once again, seeing all these professionals come down to the Greenbrier in West Virginia for this year's World Team Tennis season. Of course, a huge shout out has to go out at the beginning to Carlos Silva, the entire World Team Tennis uh, team on all they have done in helping getting this season underway. And I I think that's where we have to start now. I know you are a man of principle, a man of ethics, so I feel like we should both just say at the beginning, you're obviously doing the play-by-play for the World Team Tennis. I don't think anyone should expect you to, you know, come out here and say, yeah, World Team Tennis sucks. Like, that's just not going to be something that happens on today's podcast. But, you know, you know, of course, I, I am curious because you are there. You are on the grounds, and certainly given the environment throughout the country in certain geographical areas, cases are on the rise I have to know, you know, what are the feelings on the ground bring at the Greenbrier? Uh, again, I'm building up here this question. Welcome back. You came here just to hear me talk for 40 minutes. Um, <clears throat> the good news is I might cough my way out of not talking. Uh, but the point being, you know, to be on the grounds when we were at exhibitions in Miami in Nicholasville, the players were certainly a little apprehensive and they started to doubt whether the season would be able to come back. What has been the grounds at the Greenbrier? Everyone seems to just be having the time of their life. Alex, you, you there? Yeah, can you hear me? Okay, yeah. I, 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 you were cutting out during your question, but I can pick up. Uh, you just basically went what the feeling is like here. I can pick up right now. Do you want yep, to? go for it. Three, okay. Give me a 3 okay. two, one countdown in your head and then just go for the answer. Okay. So the feeling here is one of excitement, Alex. First of all, big shout out to Carlos Silva. He's a fellow Boston College Eagle, like your boy. <laughs> and uh, his entire team, Matt Elephant, Riley O'Donnell, everyone, they've just gone above and beyond. Obviously, Fred Luddy and um, Eric Davidson, uh, They've just made it happen. And the level here is, to be honest, it's outstanding. The level of tennis that I've seen, it's it doesn't resemble any other team tennis that I've seen in the past, I think, for a few reasons. One is that this is the first actually truly meaningful competition that these players have had. It's something that they've been able to prepare for and actually play for something. There's you know There's $5 million in prize money up for grabs. Um, players came in prepared. Normally, a lot of players will play World Team Tennis after Wimbledon. Some will prepare. Some will not quite prepare the same way. <laughs> some will come in banged up from having played, you know, over the tough, uh, the French Wimbledon stretch. Here, people have basically peaked. They're peaking here because they've had a couple months to train knowing that the first real competition, you know, excluding the exhibitions, the first real competition was going to be at the Greenbrier. Um, so really, we've gotten such a good level. Every team has a stud on their team, singles and doubles and mix. I mean, the doubles is a joke. Like, you have Bethany Maddock playing doubles. You have Rajiv Ram playing doubles. You have the Bryans playing doubles. Robert Lindstedt, John-Julian Roger. Um, there's so many incredible stories. Like, the singles, you know, Sophia Kennan's playing. Taylor Fritz, they're on the same team. You know, Kim Kleisters is playing. Uh, obviously, Stevie Johnson, Sam Query, uh, all these guys, Tennis Sangren, Brand Nakashima has been playing some ball. It's just uh, day in, day out. It's the level, uh, in my mind, I'm just surprised every day how competitive the matches are, how high 
the level of competition is, how much the players want to win, and the like the spirit you see from the team, like how they're supporting each other. Um, it's really, to be honest, it's it's nothing short of awesome, and it's about as ideal a scenario I think that we could have right now, considering you know that we're dealing with a pandemic. We are all isolated at a hotel like we can't you know we're not we can't leave the grounds we're all here um but everyone's making the most of it everyone's understanding the responsibilities that we all have as players and coaches and staff um you know the, the responsibility that we have to basically show that tennis can be brought back in a responsible way um and uh yeah it's just to be honest it's really exciting to be a part of it yeah, and you know, if you're going to be quarantined anywhere for three weeks, quarantine's not the right word, I suppose, in this instance. But if you're going to be cut off from the west, the rest of the world, uh, the Greenbrier is a nice place to be cut off at, right? You've got the beautiful golf courses, the beautiful it's amenities, awesome. all of these a things. Couple golf cor- There's a couple golf courses here. Um, I mean, I know players have gone uh, trap shooting or skeet shooting or whatever. I think those are two different things. Uh, Off roading. There, there's fishing. There's hikes there's all kinds of things on the property here uh, there's a bunker tour there's a nuclear bunker on site um <laughs> where you know the congress was going to go if there was ever you know some sort of attack on the united states the, back in the cold war it was commissioned by the eisenhower administration uh there's just so many cool things to do here and, and all of that is just a beautiful it's just a beautiful piece of property so if you want to go outside and find a, a bench or a tree or whatever and take a book or you know, do whatever. There's just, there's so many things to do here when you're off the court, you know, the league brought physios and massage therapists and, you know, all kinds of basically all the things that people would need to compete. It's all here you know, obviously, like we said, there's no need to leave and there's just a lot of stuff to do, which is pretty cool. Yeah. And, you know, that gets back to a credit to the the team at World Team Tennis, Carlos Silva, the rest of the gang, just everything they were able to do to set up this season and, you know, not only accommodate all of the players from a safety and health perspective, but also incentivize them to participate in this World Team Tennis event. Of course, calendar-wise, it's still scheduled to be right before the resumption of ATP and WTA ITF events. But, you know, I'm curious from your perspective, because again, this isn't your first season involved in World Team Tennis and beyond having what seems like a better field of players maybe this season more of the top players throughout the world locked in to playing these matches than they perhaps would have been in the past Um, if you're world team tennis moving forward if you're Carlos Silva is this the format I know it's great to spread out across cities and I don't know if you know from a money perspective if they would ever do that something like this again but it feels like these players maybe be again it's the circumstance but having them all in one location for three weeks at a place like the Greenbrier it's almost a spring break for these tennis players, but then you throw in a little tennis match, a couple tennis matches as well. Yeah, you know, it makes it really easy for the players. It actually, it almost ensures that there's going to be a higher level of play because you take out the travel part of the equation. You know, some teams travel privately during the season, some teams travel commercially, and there's just others. There are just some cities that are difficult to get to, uh, like a place like Springfield comes to mind. So when you remove that from the equation you basically ensure that you're going to have players who are arrested players who are ready to go when it comes to be match time and that's actually a question that we've asked you know i was just curious and chatting the other day with some of the people around the league is this something that they might look to in the future because from a player point of view or from even you know a broadcast point of view it's just so easy and we're obviously we're in a great place 
I think there's ways to market it. You could package it for families or you could, I mean, you can do all kinds of things. You know, I think like tour groups could uh, do things where they have, you know, clinics in the morning and tennis in the afternoon or evening. And, you know, I think there's a bunch of different ways they're looking at. I think, you know, it is special having the home and away matches and there's certain venues that do a really great job. La Costa in San Diego where the aviators play, Washington, D.C., where the castles have played. Um, you know, there's there's some venues that are really, you know, just really a great fan experience. And, you know, so it'd be a, kind of a bummer to miss that. I think there might be a way to do some sort of hybrid thing, maybe have regional hubs or something. I don't know. But basically places where you could, you know, the players can maybe stay for like, you know, five days at a time or a week at a time and kind of bring the take the show on the road. Uh, but basically minimizing the travel. I'm not quite sure which, which direction they're going to go, but I, uh, it's definitely a fun idea to think about. And like I said, from a player point of view and from a staff point of view, you are getting people at their best when you remove the travel component. Yeah, there's no denying that. And it's a fascinating question facing World Team Tennis moving forward because clearly whatever they are doing this season is working. As you've mentioned, maybe it does help that these players have had four months off and they've been able to have an off season and then you know ramp up their training, start to peak, as you mentioned, for the return of sanctioned events. Um, but I want to put that aside for a little bit. I do want to talk again about some of the top performers' performances, the teams that we've seen uh, rise to the top of World Team Tennis but just to get back to this feelings on the ground again there was an apprehension amongst the pro players that we spoke to uh, for the uh, exhibition events in Miami and Nicholasville about pro tennis's return would they be able to get all of the players quarantined in one location would they be able to facilitate the testing necessary to uh, ensure the safety and health of every you know player volunteer participant in whatever event these players whether it be you know the western and southern the US Open uh, I'm curious for your experience at the Greenbrier, how has that aspect of everything been? I know they have uh, limited fans as well uh, for some of these matches. Has it been weird? Has it felt pretty normal? Are the players, you know, being responsible? What are, again, the scenes on the grounds there? Because this really is a test run for potentially the three weeks we will hopefully get in New York. Yeah, you know, I, I think when you put on an event like this, you understand the magnitude of what you're trying to do. And, and I think Carlos and his team are very aware of sort of the feeling of being under a microscope, at least in the tennis world and obviously in the greater sports world as well. So from my point of view, obviously I'm coming from Los Angeles, a place where we're very sensitive to the virus. I know there's different parts of the country that have different opinions on it, but um, <laughs> I'm taking it very seriously. And I think all the players are taking it seriously because they know that their livelihood is attached to it, is attached to, um, you know, they have a vested interest in the success of this event. So we've, I, I use the collective we, I feel very good about what World Team Tennis has done so far. Um, you know, we landed on Friday coming from California. We were picked up in a big van. There were a few of us, I can't remember, it was myself, Sam, um, Stevie, Sam's wife and a few other people. Anyway, we were picked up in a van. We were taken directly to the clinic where we took our tests. And then from there, we went to the hotel, checked in, and basically waited for our results. Um, everybody who basically was coming in that day and Saturday, they did the same thing. Um, people who did not get their test back were not allowed to practice or to play until they got their results back. Um, 
there's you know mandatory for us mandatory masks in the hotel mandatory masks on the way to practice or to matches uh mandatory masks on site until you get down to the court for the players um and for us obviously to get you know once we get up in the booth uh the fans are allowed to take their masks off when they get into their seat if they're seated with family members and sufficiently away from other spectators um you know there's certain areas of the hotel that are sort of off limits to the you know to us and there's certain areas of the hotel that are set up for only us certain you know like we have a you know special room to eat we have there's like a team room where we can go get waters and drinks and all that stuff where we take our laundry we there there's a whole sort of infrastructure in place so that we can have um areas that are sterile i guess is the right word not contaminated but you Mm -hmm. know and uh yeah, I mean, there, there's a number of guidelines. Obviously, you know, when you watch the matches, there's no ball kids. There, you know, the players handle their own towels. Generally, the teammates are serving as the ball people. There's no officials because it's Hawkeye Live, so the only officials in the chair. The chair empire is wearing a mask. Um, you know, the camera guys are wearing masks. People that are working at the tournament are wearing masks. So it's a real, it's a really concerted effort by you know, world team tennis to provide a safe environment. And that's definitely by no means that I list off, you know, an exhaustive, uh, you know, rundown of all the things that they've done. Um, you know, I know we're going in for another round of testing, you know, everyone's getting temperature checks, uh, on a daily basis. So it's just, uh, you know, I, I feel good about what they're doing. And I think that if this is pulled off, you know, I think it's a, it's a good sign for the ability to pull off of, you know, events upcoming, and looking at other events upcoming, there's certain challenges that are out of our hands that have more to do with national governments um, or, you know, around the world and travel restrictions and things like that that are going to be bigger issues. But I think actually operating an event and doing it in a safe way and, you know, procuring testing and providing testing, I think all that, I think World Team Tennis is showing that that can be done. You know, yeah. by no means am I like spiking the football or like saying, you know, that we did it because we're only a week in, but uh cautiously happy with how everything's gone so far that's for sure yeah no cautiously optimistic is definitely the way to look at this and yeah to your point this isn't the scale of the u.s open this is about we'll say 60 players give or take uh you know a couple here and there but a the greenbrier is not new york city and yes cases are going down in new york but just the appeals of life in new york city in manhattan uh with all due respect to the greenbrier the greenbrier is a place you want to stay in you can hang out at the resort do all these different things uh Manhattan's still Manhattan, right? And so, the dude, appeals... we're we're in the mountains. There's no nightclubs here, you know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there's, exactly. no, uh, there's there's no there's no monkey business uh, going on. You know? Yes, there will be no shirtless dancing except for the shirtless workouts in the room of Mark Lucero. That's about you know as close as it gets to the nightclub. If you're playing like you know some techno music while you're working out, I suppose. Um, but yeah, you know, it it absolutely is a test run. It shows that it is possible to uh, again cautiously optimistic we still have two weeks to go but that if proper care is taken these players show a little bit of responsibility on their own part they take you know a little bit of accountability as well um that it is possible to pull off an event like this and certainly 
the USDA, the US Open will have the same sort of resources, if not more uh, than, and I'm being generous there, they will have more resources available to them than the World Team Tennis crew. There will be more people, more, uh, you know, testing, all these different, uh, again, things to facilitate the event. So certainly given the way the first week of the World Team Tennis season went, uh, it is encouraging. And now to your point, you know, it seems like the US Open faces another hurdle with all of these travel bans, of course. If you listen, uh, you know, you follow tennis Twitter closely. It sounds like they are seriously considering canceling the men's event in D.C. this year's City Open. And, you know, that's a storyline for us to monitor another time. But, again, I want to talk about the tennis, and I want to talk about World Team Tennis in particular, on, or in exclusively on today's podcast. And so, you know, you talk about going to the practice courts, being back on the grounds. As I mentioned, about 60 players participating in this event. Uh, what's the feeling on the grounds from that aspect, just getting back on the practice court for so many of these players so used to traveling? around the globe and hitting the practice courts and being at events uh has it felt like a bit you know i feel like everyone's probably in the honeymoon phase i think there's challenges you know like uh like you mentioned but it's just ultimately just there's just a feeling there's there i guess two things one excitement like i said and two is gratitude Mm -hmm. um you know i think at some point it'll be like that college feeling of, you know, I'm kind of bored of this or I'm tired of that. Or like, you know, that, you know, when you go to the dining hall every day for a couple of months, at some point you get tired of it. Like, um, <laughs> you know, or, you know, seeing the same, you know, inside of the same hotel room, but you know, it's, it's part of the job. And I think, like I said, I think everyone, there's just, there's just like this energy around the side. There's energy around the courts. It's really you know what? It feels like, to be honest, it feels how it feels in Australia. That's like I think the closest thing. That's the best thing I can maybe liken it to. Like when we go to Australia in the beginning of the year and everyone's like really excited to play. That's kind of how it feels right now. Yeah, no, that's awesome. I swear to God. Yeah, I lived in North Campus at when I went to Michigan. Uh, I don't know how much that means to you, but North Campus, not Central Campus. It's like a 15-minute bus ride away. And obviously in the winter, you're standing at that bus station. You're freezing. You know, you're shriveled all the way into your body, all that different sorts of thing. There's a little imagery for you. Um, but yeah, and so I swear to God, the dining halls at Michigan on North Campus, the Bursley Dining Hall, they would just – there was an agreement between the people who worked in the kitchen and all of the people who were eating there that they would only put the cookies in the oven for three huh. minutes and like yeah it would get into the circular form but the, you know the center would just fall through and that was the agreement they had just to make everything a little bit better um, but yes to your point it definitely got a little bit monotonous and you know freshman 15 hello I'm eating six cookies a day um, but thankfully I had your work ethic now uh, to your point to, to get back uh, to that work ethic there's my segue uh, when we were at these exhibition events you know a couple of players stood out certainly tennis sandgren is as fit as a fiddle clearly uh he used his quarantine to stay in shape to uh keep working i think riley opelka has worked his way back into shape i know he's not there that was just an example from my time but people like shelby rogers looked so good in nicholasville and cc ballas and jessica pagula uh they had all clearly been working you sort of referenced this earlier, but how have these players looked from a, you know, are they peaking? Does it look like the majority of these players were hitting balls over this time? Or does it look like some of them maybe uh, enjoyed their vacation a little bit too much? Alex, the players don't look like they've been hitting a few balls. The players look like they've been preparing for a grand slam. The players look, they look (laughs) ready to go. And if you saw the look in their eye on the court, 
if you saw how they look at the practice court, uh, I mean, you would think this were, you know, that we're at a major. And, and to be honest, we, we are because with the amount of money on the line here and taking into account that this is the first real paycheck that they've played for in quite a while and the first event in a while, like where there's, you know, real money attached to the results, um, you know, they've approached it as such. And for a lot of them, it was something that they could look towards when they were planning their training block during the, you know, the self-isolation period or the quarantine or the shutdown or whatever you want to call it. This gave them something to work towards. And, you know, I can guarantee you for a lot of the exhibitions, you know, the players didn't approach them the same way. But for this, people were getting ready. People were doing the work in the gym. You know, you can look at Jeannie Bouchard, and I know she's been working in Vegas with Gil Reyes, and, you know, she looks so strong. I, you know, I know she started working with Renee Stubbs on her tennis in Charleston and in Kentucky. You know, Taylor Fritz has been putting in the work in the gym here. Um, I mean, he looks so fit and strong. Tennis Sangren obviously is, you know, the dude is like shredded. Um <laughs> you know, I, I can go through every player. You mentioned Jesse Pagula. She looks so fit. She's, I think she's moving great. She's added to her game uh, with the slice and with the serve. You know, I can go through every player in the list and talk about how it's so obvious the work they've been doing. And, you know, people, no one came here thinking they could play their way into shape. People came here ready to go. And people look fast. The points are physical. Uh, everyone looks strong. There's, there's no one that's like, you know, working off the quarantine 15, you know, like people, people look <laughs> ready to go. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's just, it's really exciting to watch. And, um, you know, I, I hope it's coming through on the television, but the, the tennis that I'm seeing is just, it's, it's, it's heads and shoulders better than anything I've seen so far, you know, with the different events we've had. And, um, you know, it's, I, I think, everyone is just is really grateful for the opportunity. I keep coming back to that. I think people are really grateful for the chance to be playing for something. Yeah, no, I mean, it certainly is coming through the television and it's quite clear. They are avoiding the cookies in the dining hall in a way I could not uh, because these players do look in shape. Now I will say this and I love him. Uh, he's been kind enough to come on the podcast a couple of times and, you know, I think I had a two hour conversation with him for a project we're working on, but you know, Stevie J, your guy, uh, did come to Miami. Uh, it's not that he was out of shape, but just uh, was not in the best form, we'll say, playing-wise. But he also, I think, has looked better and better throughout this World Team Tennis season. And, you know, for some of these players, you talk about a guy— and again, let's start getting into some of the individuals because— you certainly, as you mentioned, uh, as you said, we could talk this week of the World Team Tennis season because you start to look at this first week, and there have been a couple of players who have stood out maybe above the rest of the field as exceptional and have been part of the reason why their teams have had maybe additional success, more success than maybe anticipated. And I think there are two players who have really stood out above the you know the rest in terms of their performances, and of course, you know the most notable has been Kim Kleisters, who you know beats Sophia Kennan uh, in her first matchup, beats, I believe, Sloane Stevens as well, has gotten, I think she's 3-1 and one, or maybe 3-0 th- uh, and oh thus far in her performances. You know, you're Kim Kleister's 5-0. 5-0. Yeah, again, look, uh, we were at in Ohio this weekend for our Cracked Rackets Open. I can tell you that Nishesh Basavaretti is without question the best 15-year-old uh, in the world right now. And, you know, it's funny, if you listen to this podcast before we do it, I'll add a little intro-outro. I'm going to talk about Nishesh when I do it. I'm, you know, for you listeners, we're doing this interview before I record the intro outro, but the kid is a stud, but we'll save that, you know, conversation for another time. Uh, I feel like for Kim Kleischer's, and again, a grain of salt, it's no 
ad format, it's shortened sets. Uh, that's always going to benefit a player, you know, above the age of 30 more than a two out of three format than the usual physical toll that is prof- a professional tennis match nowadays. Uh, but she's looked phenomenal. And I- I'm curious what your thoughts have been seeing her moving and, you know, playing on the grounds. So let's list off the players that she's beaten. Uh, Bernarda Pera. Good win. Uh, Yep. But good win, but better win in 2017. But go on. Uh, okay, Sloan. <laughs> uh, okay, well I'll, I'll go and try to in order. Danielle Collins. Great win. Okay, Sonia Kennan. Uh, yeah, major champion. <laughs> Sloan Stevens. Again, better win in 2017, but still good win. <laughs> and uh, Olga Gavortseva. Yeah, uh, you, me, and maybe three listeners know her because we follow the game closely. But it's a really good win. I agree. She's looked exceptional. And it's just how she plays hey, the big points so confidently. You can only play who they put in front of you. you it's know? true. Hey, Dainu, as they say in my culture. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, anyway, 5-0, five, five yeah. to be honest. Like, I, it just, it's, uh, it's incredible to me what she's able to do out there. Her ball striking has not i don't think she's lost a beat uh i don't think the girls are the women that she's playing excuse me i don't think the women that she's playing are able to hurt her in a way that would expose some things potentially like the first day i saw her play she was playing uh gosh i can't remember she might have been playing uh cannon or she was playing somebody else but either way like i thought when she played two fastballs when someone played two or three fastballs in a row to her and especially when they made her go from backhand to forehand, I thought she was a little slow with her racket head speed and the forehand to get the ball up and down and to defend out of that corner to defend pace. Um, but, you know, she's improved every day. And if she has time set up on her backhand, she is just so good at opening the court and setting up either her inside out or a backhand down the line. And she's so freaking dangerous. Like when she's able to get that ball coming back to her and not really having to move too much like if she can hit two or three balls from the same spot she is just deadly like the her ball goes so deep through the court there's so much pace behind it and spin on the ball uh it's just uh you know it's another level and to see what she's been able to do you know her serve looks i mean serves been up and down she's been getting you know a bunch of free points but she's also kind of mixing some double faults so i think part of that is match play there's some shots she's missed i think are like match play issues but uh, it, you know, to be five and zero coming out of the first week is just outstanding in my mind. Yeah, no, I think that's completely fair. And what's so clear and so enviable is that, yeah, she hasn't missed a beat in terms of her ability to strike the ball so cleanly and just open up the court uh, with her different uh, patterns and combinations. And it's all just so effective. And, you know, whether they're playing indoors with uh, the rain or whether they're playing outdoors, it's all working for her. And she has certainly been uh, such an exceptional performer. And it's why her team uh, is sitting in high, as high in the standings as I believe they are right now uh, for Kim Kleisters and the New York Empire. I believe that they are currently in third place at three and two. The Freedom, uh, Philadelphia Freedoms right now, excuse me, Freedoms plural, because we get multiple freedoms here in the United States of America, at least for now, <laughs> at least until November. Uh, but, you know, for the <laughs> Chicago Smash, they are the new team, uh, the new addition uh, to this year's World Team Tennis season. They are currently sitting at number two uh, in the standings. 
standings, or I guess tied for first with the Freedoms at four and one. Uh, and you know they have been so great as well as the Empire now in third, three and two. The Castles three and three right now. They are currently fourth, and those are your four playoff teams. Uh, but yeah, Kim Kleischer's has been outstanding. And again, I'll get to the bigger picture in terms of which teams you've enjoyed or maybe you think uh, f- are in well position, I suppose, uh, throughout the rest of this season. But I want to ask you about another guy who I think has been a standout performer thus far, uh, and that's Brandon Nakashima, who, uh, you know, certainly you look at his team and maybe they're not doing as great as some of the other players. Although I believe Nakashima playing for Chicago, I don't know why I thought he played for uh, San Diego for a second. No, maybe Chicago. That's just they're doing, yeah. they're doing he well. is they're playing good. for Chicago. They are doing very well, and one could argue he is very much a reason why they are doing so well. And we got to see Brandon in Miami, and he was exceptional. And you can just tell, you know, this was a guy who was reaching challengers, uh, challenger semifinals routinely by the time uh, where or when play paused and you know he had been on the pro tour for about nine months he was still 18 years old and he had already cracked the top 300 of the ATP singles rankings he's a guy who when I watch him play and I had this conversation uh, I was talking to Tennis Sandgren Sam Query a couple of the other guys not to name drop although to you that's not a name drop you're like oh you were talking to Sammy oh you were talking to Stevie J that's great I talk to them all the time and I just flew with their wife all the way to world team tennis uh anyways uh, but you know I, I'm talking <laughs> to these players because I'm watching Brandon play and you know I don't have er, all right I have an ego so this is going to shock any of our listeners I like to think I have as good of a tennis mind as anyone certainly it's through the Gladwell theory you watch something for 10,000 hours you better be able to master it Uh, and I watch Brandon Nakashima play and I just think to myself Man, how could anyone beat this guy? I mean, sure, if you hit a serve and a forehand like Del Potro, you can beat anyone on any given day. But I guess when you're watching Brandon Nakashima play, you know, what goes through your mind, coach? And I'm calling you coach there to get you back into the coaching mindset. I just, you know, I'm not going to call you Mark. What goes through your mind, Mark? What goes through your mind, coach, that's to validate you to our listeners? Uh, you know, he's just such a high floor player. Wow, this this has gone a lot of different directions. I'm sorry. Uh, Brandon Nakashima, high floor player, in my opinion. I'm curious, coach, what you would do, you know, what your thoughts on his game are. And, you know, that's why I just can't think of a game plan to break him down. And I guess that's why I think so highly of him right now well you look at you look at brandon nakashima and there's just not many obvious weaknesses or areas on the court that you can go that are you know air quotes like safe Mm -hmm. because he can he can hurt you on both sides he can move pretty well like he's he's improved his serve you know for me the biggest thing with him is uh you know like you said it's his his like bad level, his floor is really high. Mm-hmm. Like because there's not a lot of there's not a lot of variance with what he does from day in day out. He brings a really steady level, and I think part of that is why he's had so much success so fast. And if you just look at strictly, you know, if you look at his UTR, like Stephen Armitage would love that I'm talking about UTR right now. If you look at his UTR, he has one of the highest UTRs in this tournament, and that UTR places him you know, well, well inside the top hundred, uh, currently. And that goes without him even playing, like, you know, getting a ton of exposure at the ATP at the ATP level yet, where his UTR would go even higher for beating some of these, you know, higher ranked guys. So, you know, I just, I've been really impressed with him. I watched him today. He looked a little tired today. You know, it's been tough, uh, you know, it's tough competing. It's really hot out here. He's playing good guys day in, day out. And he's also practicing a lot. 
you know, in his off hours. Um, he lost a tough tiebreaker to Tennis Sangren today, and Tennis Sangren was able to get some cheap points at the end uh, by changing speeds, which I think that's, you know, one thing Brandon likes really, likes tempo. If you can, you know, I think if you want to disrupt his rhythm by making him play awkward balls, by taking pace off, by using the slice, you know, Tennis was able to get the ball up. Tennis used a slice a little bit and drew some errors from Brandon. Um, but, you know, to be honest, for 18, I, I mean, the guy's really good. And it's really exciting to watch him play. And he's been a huge contributor for his team. Like, he came back and um, he beat Jack Sock. Uh, Jack Sock served for the match, I believe, at 4-3. Uh, or maybe, excuse me, something like that. Jack, Jack served for the match. I think Brandon broke back. Um and uh, there was a tiebreaker involved, and, uh, you know, it was just incredible tennis. Like, Brandon won the tiebreaker uh, and then won the super tiebreaker for his team. It was amazing. Um, so uh, I think I'm getting all that right. But either way, like, <laughs> really, really bullish on him. Um, he's very impressive. Very impressive. Mm-hmm. No, I, I completely agree with you. Again, it's just it's even the things he doesn't do well. He, I would say he's not the most natural volleyer at this point of his career, but it's so clear he's working on moving forward. He understands the, you know, the need for him when he gets an approachable ball to come in behind that. And sure, he may miss the volley or float it a little bit right now, but it's something he's trying to get better at. And as an athlete, I don't think, you know, he's not a Tommy Paul, he's not a Francis Tiafo, a Michael Moe style mover, uh, but I do think he, he's a little bit of a better athlete than Taylor Fritz, naturally. I also do think his ability to anticipate uh, will help him, certainly, and he just opens up patterns so well for himself. Yeah, I, I just think he's an incredibly high-floor player, and then you realize he's not even 20 years old yet. Like, this guy is not even close to being in his physical prime, and it's a scary prospect. Uh, just another uh, crazy talented young American male player uh, on the rise, and so Brandon Nakashima, I think, has certainly been one of the winners uh, in this early early, you know, first week of world team tennis. But as you mentioned, uh, he's still a kid and it will be interesting to see how his body holds up over the next two weeks. Although again, you look at the world team tennis uh, format, it's the same format we played playing club tennis. It's, you know, one set, it's no ad scoring. Our sets, we still played uh, to six, but you know, here I suppose, uh, you know, it's a little bit shorter than that. And you know, the no ad scoring, the sudden death, that aspect of it. I know it's not your first time around the world team tennis block, but how has that been? Uh, Have you, I, I feel like you're a little bit of a tennis purist. That might be the only conservative thought in your body. And yet, you know, I, I, how have you enjoyed this, uh, you know, progressive style of tennis? I love it. Um, I like I like playing net courts, you know, playing lets or whatever on the serve. Um, I like the timeouts. I mean, there was an incredible coaching move I saw today from Kamal Murray of the Chicago Smash. Uh, Sloan Stevens was down 3-1 to Daniel okay. Collins. I'm going to cut you off uh, right there. An exceptional coach. I don't know why we don't see more of that. Oh yeah, it was amazing. I mean, he took he took Sloan out. He put in Jeannie Bouchard in, and she she missed three of her next four uh, returns of serve. I mean, coming in cold, which is understandable, and then came back and won from four one down. And uh, I mean, it was it was insane. And before the match, I was talking with Kamau. I actually called this match, and I talked to him before the match, and I was like, you know, Kamau, tell me what's the key to today? And he said, you know, they said the number four spot, which is women's singles. And uh, because last time they played, Danielle beat Sloan 5-0. And uh, he's like, we need some production from the women's singles. And, you know, he was like, uh, you know, if it's not going our way, I might need to make a move, you know? And so I was looking for it in the booth. And sure enough, like, you know, he uh, he 
got Genie up off the bench, ready to go, and uh, turned turned the day around for his team. Um, it was incredible. But so yeah, so I, I like I like being able to do that. I like you know having you know timeouts, call you know call twenty second on a big point. I would I wish you could do it between first and second serves, to be honest. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean I like the shortened format. I've always you know I've always thought college tennis should play singles and doubles at the same time. Um, you know, six courts, two sing, two doubles, four singles, whatever. I don't really care the the breakdown, but um, yeah. So I'm all for trying different things. You know, that being said, like there's you know certain reporter who I think is full of it whenever he goes on his best <laughs> of five rants. Um, but uh, you know, other than that, like I'm all for trying different things. I, I like being progressive and I like being forward thinking, and I think the game. Uh, in certain areas definitely should evolve with the times, um, you know, grand slams, notwithstanding, but otherwise, yeah. <laughs> well, let me just say friends, friends, friends. Uh, he is a fellow returning champion on this podcast, so there will be no, uh, well, Oh really? Uh, I didn't know that. A fellow returning champion. We'll call him Ren Bothenberg. Um, uh, you know, that's his alias. Uh, but yeah, no returning champion as well. So, um, yeah. And a fellow university of Michigan guy. So I will always love, uh, my fellow Wolverines, but yeah, look, it's certainly a controversial take. We don't have to get into that right now. It reminds me of the incredible coaching decision made by one Alex Gruskin in the 2017, uh, club tennis nationals when we had, you know, uh, well now, oh my God, this is a weird story now. I know he doesn't listen to the podcast, so I can say this formerly my brother's girlfriend now ex-girlfriend but who played club tennis uh with on our team and she's a former varsity player at michigan and we always had you know we wanted she tore her acl that's why she stopped playing on the team but you know she was by far the best girl in the club tennis competition by a country mile and it's like that's why we won it's no secret um but we we always had this idea when we the reason we were able to win is we said all right when we get to nationals when it's time to play serious lara uh we're gonna go nuclear which means you're gonna play women's doubles you're also going to play mixed doubles uh, our singles player is going to play singles and she's going to play doubles with you as well and our lovely freshman Chelsea you we're just going to bench you if that's all right Chelsea because we came here to win I'm a senior like I like you but I'm not really going <laughs> to see you in the future so I'm here to win um, and Chelsea Chelsea accepting that and just being like yeah that's fine I don't need to play was part of the reason we also won because her being cool with it allowed them to do their thing and I'll never forget semifinals 2-1 those women were winning in women's doubles the ucla team had the gumption to hook laura and so laura oh. looks at him and like you can see she is not happy then they hook her again on the next point and laura goes she's like oh i didn't realize this is the girls 12s and by the way that's how you know she actually played tennis because some real smack talk some real history behind that uh, smack <laughs> talk and then they go on so it's two all they win the next four games i think she you didn't have the an umpire uh, we did not have it's club tennis. Come on, we don't have those resources. Um, but you know, they have a rover. I don't know. No, you get a chair umpire for the final, um, which is really okay. cool. And you actually have lines people. It's really cool. Um, so did we she do hook have... them back or what? what no, she didn't need to. She just crushed them with you know. She just destroyed <laughs> okay. them. She wins four straight games. We win women's doubles six two. Uh, Carrie, uh, I love you, Carrie. Who? Uh, she wins women's singles six love. And this is not to. I suppose this isn't something I should celebrate, but you know the the UCLA player leaves the court in tears because Ter Carrie just broke her down, and we were just like Carrie, my girl, like way to play, um, <laughs> and then we cruise our way to the and then we cruise our way to the finals. Anyways, that's not a great story. I wasn't rooting for the UCLA girl to be crying. I was cheering Carrie on because she performed that 
that well. I want to be clear. That's where my joy is coming from. Anyways, I feel like I'm going to get in trouble. The point being, great coaching decision by Kamal Murray, which is where this conversation started. And yeah, now the Chicago Smash find themselves at 4-1. and one. The Freedoms, again, 4-1 and one as well. You look at the statistics for those teams, and I think that's half the fun, the fact that the statistics are kept so well. You can find games played, games won, games lost, which flight is the strongest for each of these teams. You look for the freedom. It really has been the men's singles uh, and the women's singles, Kennan and Fritz doing a lot of the heavy lifting, of course. The women's doubles team as well uh, doing uh, well for them. You look for uh, uh, the Chicago Smash, a lot of the heavy lifting being done by the women's doubles team, and then they're playing pretty evenly everywhere else. Uh, You look, again, as we head into weeks number two and three of this World Team Tennis season, have there been any teams that have really jumped out to you as the teams to beat? You know, it's really tough to argue against Philadelphia. They're so stacked. Uh, you know, Taylor Fritz and Sonia Cannon are such a formidable one-two punch or, you know, whichever way you want to put it uh, at singles. And then, you know, their doubles is, is just is loaded also. Taylor Townsend, Fabrice Martin, mm-hmm. you know, they can pretty much play with whoever. And, um, you know, I'm, I know I'm forgetting someone else for Philadelphia. I'm forgetting a women's doubles player. I can't name her off the top of my head. But, um it's just uh, Dal- you know, you're talking about Caroline Dalhide. Uh, yes, or- Caroline Dalhide. I, oh, I was going to say, yeah, or maybe. Taylor Townsend. No, Taylor Townsend. She plays with, with Dalhide, right? Yeah. yeah. So I mean, they're you know they're they're stacked, but they have you know some spots where you know a New York I think is really good also, and mm-hmm. I think New York could do some damage down the stretch, especially if you know if if Jack Sock is playing at a really consistent level and. Um, they can sort of iron out their women's doubles if they can get, uh, you know, if Kleister's plays singles and mixed, and if they get a little help um, in the women's doubles and can figure out, you know, that spot, uh, I think they're going to be dangerous too. I like, I really like Chicago, you know, Bethany Maddock and um, Bethany Maddock Sands and Jeannie Bouchard going into today. Uh, if you listen to the broadcast, I told you that they have won. <laughs> They have won 19 games and lost only five, and that was going into today, uh, which is just, I mean, it's ridiculous. And then Bethany and Rajiv Ram are playing mixed doubles. I mean, you know, that's got to be that's that's a ridiculous team. That's your nuclear lineup, yeah. Yeah, that's solid. And, you know, if Sloan's not having a great day, Jeannie can play singles, you know, or, um, you know, same thing with, like, Philadelphia. If Sonia's not playing great or doesn't need a day off, like Taylor Townsend can go in, and it's a great format for her. Uh, You know, I feel like there's... Uh, that's I mean I listed three teams that I think are really good that could win it. You know I think there is, you know Orlando. I mean if if Danielle Collins gets her mind right and decides she wants to play, or if Jesse Pagula gets hot and tennis obviously is playing at a high level, like they could win it all. That's four teams. You know um, I just I think there's so much parity. They uh, we're gonna see. I don't think we're gonna see any team run away with it. I think Philadelphia is gonna get pulled back to the pack. I think same with. Uh, Chicago, and I think we're going to see a lot of teams, you know, hovering around the nine and five, eight and six, uh, seven and seven. I think it's going to be a real cluster when we get down the stretch. 
I love that you just censored yourself with cluster and you didn't drop the f bomb on the end of it. That might be a pop. Uh, no, that's actually that, that's not really the. Uh, I, don't, I don't ever use that word to be honest. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Um, but no. So to your point, I think you named great teams there, and you look at some of the lineups. When you're looking at these teams, you want to see what are the flights that stand out. Can you lock in a victory at any flight? And if you can do that, you know, given how close the format, you know, how close all these matches end up being, that's a huge advantage for your team. And as you mentioned, for the freedom. I mean, Sophia Cannon, 20, or, you know, women's singles overall, they've won 23 games. They've lost 10 uh, in the 33 games they've played. That's exceptional. They're also 23 and 16 at men's singles, 22 and 18 at mixed doubles, 24 and 17 at women's doubles. That's why they're number one in the standings, because they've been that good across the board. You look at the smash, though, you know, their women's doubles might be the single best flight of any flight in uh, in the competition, in the World Team Tennis season. Jeannie and Bethany Ma- Maddox Sands have been that good and then as you mentioned right now they're only 22 and 20 but I wouldn't want to face BMS and Rajiv with my you know uh with the match on the line. Now, certainly you look at the men's singles, if Nakashima slows down a little bit, Evan King, a fellow Wolverine as well, I'll never doubt him. I do doubt Rajiv's knees at this point in his career. And I would, you know, we had the chance to see him at an exhibition we did here in Indy for Cracked Rackets. And, you know, I was joking around four points in, he was huffing and puffing. And I was like, Rajiv, I don't know. If, you know, I think the singles portion of your career has sadly passed. Um, and so, you know, that is something for the smash, but they are so good at multiple doubles positions that they're just going to be able to compete. But another team, you know, in this World Team Tennis format, I think it's worth acknowledging in a no-ad set, you know, uh, shortened format, you know, in men's tennis in particular, it's a toss-up, right? Big serves, big forehands. Right. You're, you're not right. – everything's going to be within a 5-3, five, 5-4 five, range. If your women are good in this team format, you're going to exceed. You're, you're succeed. Your team is just going to be better. And so I do think, again, you look at the smash. You look at the freedom. Uh, they have some of the best women in this competition. There's no better doubles player in this event uh, on the women's side than Bethany Maddox-Sands. There's no better singles player maybe in the world right now than Sophia Kennan. So yeah, I think those are two great bets moving forward. It's sponsored by DraftKings. We're sponsored by DraftKings. If that's something you're interested in, I agree with you. Those are my two teams to watch as well. I will say the dark horse, because I know Carlos Silva, and so do you, and I made this joke on Twitter, and I'll make it again here. He's going to rig things for entertainment value. He is the David Stern of the tennis world. It's a perfect competition. The only difference is David Stern, uh, maybe not the workout warrior that Carlos Silva is, who does a mini triathlon every morning at 6 a.m. The guy is just a beast. Uh, you know, I call you a tryhard. He literally is always trying hard. Um, but That's how we do it, man. Eagles, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you got to work off that clam chowder. Um, but no, you know, for you guys, uh, for if if I'm Carlos Silva and I'm thinking, how can I rig this for the highest entertainment value? You know, the highest return on investment for my customers. The Bryans are ending up in the playoffs. Like the Vegas Rollers will be yeah, in the playoffs. Good. I think they're really good too. That's another team I was going to name. Yeah, Query plus the two Bryans. You're in every match on the men's and mixed side. A hundred percent. And even you know. They got they have a few injuries right now with the women. Asia Muhammad that has a shoulder. Mm-hmm. I think maybe Christian has a shoulder as well. Um, Monica Puig may be dealing with an ab. Um, potentially they are active on the free agent market right now. Which is just such a great thing to say in professional tennis, a free agent <laughs> market. It just makes me so happy. Well, you know, I mean, uh, Orange County was out, you know, was working the 
they were working the free agent market earlier in the week, uh, you know, checking the waiver wires and seeing who, uh, you know, who were the free agents. And they were able to bring in a couple players that really gave them a boost. They had a slow start. You know, they brought in Austin Krychik and Gabby Dabrowski midweek. And once they got their COVID tests in, you know, then they were eligible to play. Uh, and they've, you know, Orange County's, uh, I guess, struggling a little bit, but they've helped them off the bench in doubles. And uh, that's kind of the beauty of this system, um, you know, acquiring players and uh, getting their rights and then getting them ready to play. You know, you can reload. There's a, you know, there's trades. There's, I know there's been a lot of trade talk. That's been a, you know, a buzz around the, uh, the water cooler. Um, Vegas could be active, you know, looking for trades also. That's what I heard today. Um, so, you know, I think Carlos knows there's a trade deadline. I'm not sure when that is before the playoffs. But, uh, yeah, I mean, obviously, again, with so much money in the line, I think the, there's a lot of incentive for the GMs to be active. Who gets more, who uh, would draw more first-round picks right now, Zion Williams or Sophia Kennan? <laughs> that would be, you know, if you're on playoff contention, you don't trade, uh, you know. You don't trade your number one. You don't trade your starting pitcher. No, but I'm saying it's uh, the off season. You know, I I don't know who the GM of the Philly Freedoms is, but he's like, we really need to blow things up. Like, you got to trust the process here. There's, uh, yeah. you know, I've watched Coco Golf coming up the pipeline, and I know she's going to be the number one pick next year. So I'm trying to get as many first round picks as possible. <laughs> Sophia, because of that, you got to go. Uh, how many yeah. first? You know, there's, you know, say, okay. I think I've taken the analogy. Well, I was joking enough. with uh, <laughs> I was joking with one of the players this morning about. You know, some of the players they were maybe potentially trying to sign, and we were talking about, uh, you know, someone might take a, you know, a low salary but backloaded with incentives, you know, or maybe getting rid of a couple of players to free up some cash. Um, <laughs> we're just yeah. going through all the different scenarios. No, I, I heard the Aviators offered Opelka a lifetime supply of Lucky Charms, and he was like, "Okay, <laughs> you have, you know, now I have to pick up the call." Um, but yeah, no, it again, it the the entire season, the entire process, the entire, uh, I, it's just so different, right? It, it again to get back, it's a it's a more modernized form, more progressive form of tennis. It's just such a a different format, a more relaxed environment. Uh, you know, it's so relatable to other sports as well. It's what makes world team Dude, is such an enjoyable it, product it's not relaxed man these, these people are going at it oh, it's oh intense. I, I i suppose relaxed in the sense that yeah it, it just it's not as uppity relaxed is for not fans, the right word yeah fans, I'm, exactly 100%. it's not a yeah. wimbledon environment you don't have to worry about sitting in your seats and squirming no. and like being like walk around talk? make some noise dance with the dj you know DJ but socially distance, socially distance dancing. Yeah, socially distance. Yeah. <laughs> no, for sure. I, I completely agree with you. It's made again watching it such a delight. As has the commentary. I mean, obviously, uh, yeah, right. you guys are doing. You know, no, 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 not you. Don't get crazy. Uh, I, was, I was talking about you know Olivia Decker, the Tennis One app team. They've all been exceptional. Uh, uh, Andrew Krasny. Uh, <laughs> Olivia Decker and Nick Gizmondi doing a great job at the mm-hmm. host desk. Um, the rest of us are, you know, following their lead, but, uh, yeah, I mean, we're, it's great to have, a, you know, a great crew of people here. Yeah, no, it's been, it's been so fun to watch. And obviously, yeah, I think, you, you know, you've done an exceptional job as well. Um, all right, I've kept you long enough. I have one non-world team tennis, uh, question for you. Then I promise I will let you go. Okay. Uh, simply put, and it's late. I know you're on East coast time this time, but I'm going to pretend that it's eight thirty-five for you and that you're in California. And so I don't feel <laughs> as bad about it. Um, but Given everything we know right now going on in the world, cases spiking, travel bans, all these different things, U.S. Open in your mind, happening uh, or not happening? Don't ask me that question. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, I 
I say it's a flip of a coin right now. I think mm-hmm. there's, I think there's a number of challenges. I think there's some people who don't want it to happen. I think there's a lot of people who do want it to happen. I think we need tennis on television in the United States, uh, like World Team Tennis is right now. I think um, we need tennis on TV at that time, you know, Labor Day weekend. But there's a number of challenges with players going back to Europe afterwards. There's, you know, people, they expect to hold Madrid and Rome. There's challenges uh, if players can get into those countries and not have to quarantine and be able to play. You know, if there's a 14-day quarantine and you play the U.S. Open and you're going to go play Rome, like, yeah, I don't know how you make that work. Or even Paris. Um, So, you know, I hope, you know, I know the tours are being really aggressive right now. They're talking to the governments of, you know, of France and of Italy and uh, of Spain. And on the women's side, they're talking to Czech. Um, So people are working really hard to make it happen. I mean, I really hope that the U.S. Open happens. I know... The USTA has been working incredibly hard. I, you know, I talk to Eric Buderak quite often, and they're, you know, they are doing so much to make it happen. But at the end of the day, a lot of these things are out of their hands, unfortunately. Um, I wish I had a better answer. Uh, my, I guess my my final answer is I really hope it does. No, can I? My counter to that is that is exactly the answer I was looking for because that speaks to the uncertainty. And you know, three weeks ago maybe felt like a sure thing. Two weeks yeah. ago, seventy thirty, or I guess it was four weeks ago. Sure thing. Then the Adria tour happens, and it's you know every tennis collectively holds its breath and says, you know, are we sure we can do this? And now you know as things again continue to uh, yeah, transform. I mean, I think the you know to be honest, I think the Adria tour and even to a smaller extent like you know Atlanta, like I think these are things that had very little to do with the actual organization and holding of an event i think they had more to do with off-court things that would not be going on in a sanctioned competition and you know i think i think the the doubt more comes from you know uh to be honest like you know a resurgence of the virus in the united states you know which i lay at the hands of an inept federal government complete abdication of responsibility for coordinated federal response you know so um that's on them (laughs) yeah no i i I completely agree with you again it's you know uh uh, never mind we'll save the political one for our patreon but but the optics you know the optics of the adriat tour didn't help that's 100 percent for sure yes i think you know i i think novak is very sensitive to that um obviously clearly um and yeah it it didn't help the argument for sports in general but if you look at the other sports the other sports are literally planning for positive cases, you know, like because there's no if you're going to try to bring sports back, like that's just a reality that at some point people are going to test positive. And, uh, you know, you have to figure out how to move forward and how to keep everyone safe. And I think the U.S. the U.S. Open is trying to do the same, you know, put contingencies in place. Can we test uh, as much as we need to and keep people safe and control things that way? And if you can do that, I think you can make, you know, you can make sports happen. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree with you. And again, I think that was the answer I was looking for. Uh, so I appreciate that very much, Coach. Um, 
yeah, we, we can leave things there. It, it, it is so much up in the air, and so it's so difficult to see. But the one thing that is not up in the air is that pro tennis has returned because you get to see yep. some of your favorite players across the world over these next two weeks uh, complete this 2020 World Team Tennis season. And best of all, we get to hear your voice alongside of it. So, Coach Mark Lucero, thank you so much, as always, for taking the time to chat. Uh, stay safe and stay healthy. Obviously, enjoy the Greenbrier. And, you know, don't be a stranger. You're always welcome back. We always have a spot for our returning champions uh, here on the show. Thanks, Alex. Appreciate it, man. Of course. Take care. Hope all of you enjoyed my conversation with Mark Lucero, and again, a huge shout out to him for taking the time to break down that first week of the World Team Tennis season, give us a little bit of insight of what's going on on the grounds. Uh, some background for you listeners, we recorded that podcast, I think 10.30 to 11.30 Sunday night, uh, that had come after Mark had to do a play-by-play call for the World Team Tennis broadcast. I know he has another call this morning as well, uh, so appreciate him staying up and chatting with us. It's always a delight to get the chance to talk to him you know I I swear he you know we bait one another into almost getting political every time but that's half the fun right you guys at this point you know I think you know enough about both of us that that shouldn't shock either of you but you know more importantly his insights into the game of tennis into the future of the sport as well uh, it's always a delight to get to chat with him so shout out to you Mark a huge thank you for him for taking the time to join us Uh, but of course we've got so many other great conversations going on right now live on our Cracked Records podcast feeds. If you haven't yet, listen to the conversations we've had with Riley Opelka, Shelby Rogers, Jeannie Bouchard, uh, all of those conversations we had while in Miami and Nicholasville for uh, the the exhibition events we went and covered. You can find those in video form on our YouTube channel. You can see our smiling face. I believe they started referring to me as Miami Gruskin uh, because I was wearing sunglasses. Again, Dalton, not the most clever with the nicknames. That's why we don't let him on the podcast anymore. Uh, But certainly the content is exceptional, so be sure to go check all of that out. Of course, you can also hear them as Cracked Interviews podcasts. Uh, And again, um, you know, we appreciate all that. Just so you don't miss any anything, just go hit that subscribe button. We got a lot of content still, I think, what, 13 more, 14 more, uh, I guess minus three, so 11 more interviews to go. I'm not sure exactly when they're all going to be released, but you don't want to miss any of them, so be sure to go hit that subscribe button to our YouTube channel. And of course, like, rate, subscribe, review this podcast, the Correct Interviews podcast, the Great Shot podcast, where we had the CEO of Bleacher, the owner of the Tennis One app, Kristen Gear, on the show last week. It was a delightful conversation. Of course, last week we also had Brett McCormick of Sports Business Journal to talk about the you know financial impact of COVID-19 on our tennis industry, and it's becoming more and more clear what that impact's going to be, so be sure to go check out that conversation if you haven't, our Getting to the Point episode with Princeton men's tennis head coach Billy Pate, and then of course all of the great conversations we've had really throughout this quarantine. Uh, again, we're, we're trying to learn, I think we've had the opportunity to learn, give insight into, you know, not just the sport that's being played, not just the players currently playing, but also the future of our game and what the future for tennis looks like. And so, again, be sure to check out all those podcasts, like, rate, subscribe, review if you've missed any of them. You can find them all on our website, CrackedRackets.com. You need the more immediate updates, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. It's at CrackedRackets. You want to message me directly, I'm at GreatShotPod. Shout out, as always, to the super producers, Max Fliegner and Daniel Westoff for the f- 
of an editing job they have to do day in, day out. Again, we've got a lot of content here in the queue, and they just keep grinding it all out. So shout out to the both of them, uh, super producer Daniel Westhoff. Again, at this point, I don't know how he doesn't just slap me across the face when I try to talk to him. Uh, because not only does he have to edit all of my voices, but of course we are roommates now at this point as well. So shout out to him. I know how hard he works and you know he deserves all of the appreciation in the world. So shout out to you, Westoff. But uh, again, I also have to give a huge shout out to our friends at Midwest Sports. Go to MidwestSports.com. Use that promo code CR15. Go to AeroBar.com. Use the promo code CRACKED15. You'll have your nutritional aspects covered. You'll have all of the gear requirements you need to help make your return to the tennis court a successful one. So shout out to our friends at Midwest Sports and Aerobar again for all they do to support us here at Cracked Rackets. Uh, But with that being said, for our wonderful guest, Mark Lucero, our friends at Midwest Sports and Aerobar, our super producers, Max Lingner and Daniel Westhoff, and all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say, folks. That's the break, and we'll see you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone. 